0: Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction, so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun- functional issues, problems like that. Or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes or just build one new home in its place and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com. And when you go there, there's a contact us tab. Click on that and you can send us a message and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this. And hopefully we
1: All right, welcome back, everybody, out there in listener land. This is episode 71 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We are back this week. We took a couple weeks off, but hey, we had businesses to run, but we're back. So without further ado, welcome my co host, Mr. Steve Nassar. What's up, Steve
2: Hey, good to be back on the show. It's an exciting time here in little old North Willamette Valley, Oregon. Here we are, the weekend going into the big eclipse. Are you doing anything for the eclipse, Tucker?
1: I'm gonna hunker down and hope the world doesn't end, but <laughs> I'll probably watch it from my backyard. So,
2: yeah, you'll get you'll get most of it, but not uh, the not full the effect, effect. Not the full effect.
1: This what about is, you?
2: I'm going down. I'm going down.
1: I'm I'm braving wow. the
2: traffic. Yeah,
1: going down to where?
2: So I'm going to a golf course in Dallas, Oregon. I've known about this eclipse for a while. Let's just put that out there. Here's a little quick story for you. Check this out. I'm showing you an image here. This is a magazine. It's Principal Broker Magazine. It's May 2009. I wrote a cool little article for them. or I thought it was cool. Probably nobody else did. So kind of back in 2009 when the economy was as dark as night and everybody thought the world was ending and money was going back to zero, everybody was going to zero and everything was going to be worth zero and we were going to be trading shark teeth at that time by the way it is when you know they were giving the government was paying people to buy houses do you remember oh that i story?
1: remember yeah. we were renovating and selling houses in like days back then and nobody believed us because the government was, i think they were giving everybody like 8 grand or something it was pretty $7, ridiculous.
2: $7500 yeah. tax dollar for dollar tax credit if you bought a house before the deadline you got a $7500 tax credit so around that time i was kind of you know talking with some people in the industry and i was like gosh You know, right now, there's just like these three things perfectly aligned. I mean, this is really how this idea came to fruition. There's these three things perfectly aligned, creating this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to buy a house. I mean, we have low prices in the form of high inventory, low interest rates, and the, the government paying you to buy a house, free money to buy a house. And somewhere in that conversation... The idea came up, yeah, it's kind of like an eclipse. It's kind of like when the sun, the earth, and the moon align and you have this phenomenon. And I was like, Oh yeah, I think that's that's a cool analogy. Why don't I run with that and you know write a write a quick article? I, I was a regular writer and contributor to Principal Broker magazine, a local real estate magazine. I was like, that's a cool idea to to run an article with halfway through running the art, writing the article, and, and it truly started as me not realizing there was an eclipse coming. I guess it wasn't halfway. It was probably in, uh, early in the process of writing the article. I was researching eclipses, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there is one coming here in 2017. And remember, this is 2000, early 2009, so eight years before. And I'd never heard of it, and I don't think anybody else had. And so... Then I really got excited about my article. I'm like, oh, this is going to, in addition to you know, having this analogy out there, I'm also going to announce early on to everybody what's coming in the future. And so ultimately the article came out. I must tell you, well, I, I liked how it ended up turning out. I was I was underwhelmed at people's excitement about the eclipse. Because I, I kind of predicted at the end, I was like, by the way, here's what's happening in 2017. I think it's it's going to be a, a once in a lifetime event. It's going to be, it's going to cause, you know, millions. I literally said millions of people will come to Oregon from, because we're in the path of totality and only, so everybody North and South of us, and that's California, Washington, Canada, maybe even parts of Mexico, they would have to come here to see it. So I predicted a lot of people would be coming. I also kind of predicted that, and where it all tied together was, you know, this once in a lifetime opportunity to buy when the darkness of this economy passes, people will look back and go, gosh, I should have bought a house then, even though it was scary at the time. I think that kind of <laughs> kind of is a reality as well. Now, in hindsight, I think a lot of people here in 2017 wish they'd bought
1: 10 houses in 2009. I would be, you know, we bought way more than 10 houses in 2009, but we didn't keep them for that long. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of the idea is the article kind of mentioned that, you know, in ancient times, we all know what's going to happen on Monday, right? We're, we're all going to be staring at the sun and it's going to slowly disappear. And in, in down in the Salem area, it's actually going to turn to night and you'll see an amazing phenomenon where the temperature drops and, and you can't see, daylight really for a few minutes you know in ancient times and that's kind of what the article said was in ancient times that that would probably be pretty scary if you didn't know what the heck was going on and so while people were really really scared with that going on once it started to pass and things started to get lighter again they'd go wow that was really cool i wish i wish i could have experienced that again and you know same thing with the dark economy was what i said is you know right now in 2009 when it was written This is incredibly scary. You know, we don't know when this is going to pass. But when it does start to pass and finally goes away, I bet a lot of people wish, hey, I I wish I could go back and and take advantage of that moment again and and do something knowing that, you know, the, the brightness of day will return. And so that was kind of the premise of the article. So anyways, for that reason, it's I have a strong desire to see it. It's not that far from us. I don't know that I'm somebody that would travel a thousand miles to see it, but I think I can figure out how to travel 30 miles, 40 miles to see it. So my plan on Monday is to wake up incredibly early, probably 2 to 30, get on the freeway. I have to think that the freeway south to Salem can't be that terrible. It is a freeway. There's plenty of lanes in both directions there's no stoplights. There's no stop signs. I do worry about people that are trying to go to Madras. I do worry about people trying to go to the coast. I Those routes scare me. I think a freeway is fairly safe. It could be slow going, you know, probably not dissimilar to like, you know, those times when the ducks and beavers are playing at the same time. And hopefully early enough that day, it won't be too terrible. You know, I also don't think everybody's going to be on the freeways at the same time or on the roads at the same time. You know, there's a lot of. There's a lot of, I I almost joke that it's kind of like Y2K chatter going on right now where you're hearing this mass hysteria of, oh my gosh, the traffic's going to be so terrible and and the world's going to come to an end because of it. But a lot like Y2K back in 99, which ended up being nothing as we all recall. But I kind of feel like there's a little bit of that going on because really the reality is, yes, there's going to be a lot of people here. They will not all be on the roads at the exact same moment. Some are, you know, some are already arriving on Friday. Some are, you know, be traveling Saturday, Sunday, and then possibly some some Monday. But beyond that, too, the, the thing I'm noticing, Tucker, is I'm asking a lot of locals. I'm like, what are you doing for the Eclipse? And I'm hearing a lot of nothings. In fact, I just heard it from you. And so (laughs) what I'm kind of realizing is basically we have a million plus people coming here to Oregon to see the eclipse. And the three million people that live here are hunkering down. So there won't be the three million normal people on the roads. There'll just be one million. So I'm (laughs) pretty.
1: That's your prediction. (laughs) So
2: (laughs) So maybe there's a prediction that the roads will be lighter than usual. Because of all this chatter of how terrible they'll be, I don't okay. know. Time okay. time so will tell.
1: We'll see. There's there's your prediction for the eclipse, which <laughs> the time will tell as to whether or not you're right about it. But being that this is the the market action update episode, I will say that our prediction about the market, just a little you know foreshadowing here, was probably right. We said there was going to be two markets this year: the first half of the year, and well, ended up being the first two thirds of the year and the last third of the year. So. You know, we were at least right on that prediction. We'll see about the eclipse prediction. But before we get into that too much, I guess what what's been going on out there? What have you been seeing before we dive into actual market action numbers?
2: Honestly, I mean, I think we're gonna have plenty of time to talk about this in the action report in the market. But it's it's quiet. It's quiet. I'm busy. I'm getting listings. I'm not sure how excited I should be about these new listings. It kind of reminds me a little bit, and you and I know that this is, we're never going to have a slowdown like 2007, 2008, because everybody out there qualifies for the house they live in. And there's not going to be some mass foreclosure crisis. But it reminds me of 2007. I remember you and I were both lenders back then. And I remember that day. It was actually, and isn't it crazy, Tucker? Ten years ago was August
1: was twenty really, something. Yeah I, yeah,
2: I think it was earlier in August. I think it was like the first week of August. But I, I, be,
1: I remember where I was when I got <laughs> the phone, the first phone call. That's yeah, it, our
2: pipe Yeah, I, I mean, do you remember just that you're walking around like it's like you've seen a ghost, like something big is changing and happening? Because what happened was we were getting. Emails and phone calls from the wholesale banks we had pre-approved our clients with saying basically I can no longer do that loan. You have sent in a file for pre-approval or or the guidelines you thought we have no longer exist. We can no longer go to this LTV, we can no longer do this credit score. We can this or this loan, this second you thought we had no longer do we have. So we're looking at all of our files and all of our clients that we've pre-approved in the in the previous weeks and months and all of a sudden these people that are running around shopping for houses with realtors suddenly no longer can buy. And so we're we're going oh my gosh and it was not just one bank not two banks it was all the banks were saying that. And so we were calling the realtors and going hey bad news on you know so and so they can no longer qualify to buy a house. I'm digging around trying to figure this out, but be, you know, don't put that offer in. And in some cases, they're saying, oh, we just made an offer. I remember one conversation I had with a realtor where I called him and, I, you know, I'm about to go into this bad news. And I'm like, hey, how's your week? What's going on? And he was so excited that he had just got a new listing. Cause back then, the market we had been in, a listing was a paycheck it was just a guaranteed paycheck. I think most of our listeners can relate to that. For the past gosh, better part of 5 years, every listing is a guaranteed paycheck with few exceptions. And I remember I remember kind of thinking to myself, gosh, I hope, you know, I hope that that listing ends up being a paycheck. And I don't think in hindsight it did. I don't think we will ever go through something hopefully in our lifetimes, as bad as what that was. But I am seeing a lot of listing appointments lately. Several of my listing appointments have been previously listed properties by other agents. And what's interesting about that, they weren't listed for incredibly long. One of them was listed for 30 days, another for 60 days, I think. But it kind of shows the mindset of the seller out there they expect quick results and if they don't get it then you're a failure. And to be fair, it also shows the mindset of the agent because the agents weren't doing much. They had put a, you know, they had put a sign in the front yard, threw it on the MLS, done some, you know, photos, maybe good, maybe not, and expected a paycheck. I think we could be seeing the end of those days. I do think we could be seeing the end of those days. I think there'll be tremendous positives. I'll go through that. I actually did a presentation for some of our agents earlier this week. It was kind of a regular event that I do once a month for our agents. And and I kind of talked about the market and possible changes happening and I, I really tried to focus on strategies and positives. And I'll go into some of those here during the podcast when we get into the market action report. So back to your prediction earlier in the year, Tucker, we had kind of predicted that this could be the case. If you recall, we had been in that really crazy polarizing election period in early mid-fall, which quickly transitioned into a horrific winter. And so there, there, when we came out of that winter, there was some pent-up demand. There was people out there who had been needing and wanting to buy. And, and, and when you talk about needing and wanting to buy, I mean, remember, life always happens, right? Regardless of the economy, regardless of the market, regardless of anything, people get married, people get divorced, people have kids, people get relocated. They were needing to make a change, but because of the the chaos of the four, five, six months for those two reasons, they hadn't been able to. So we came out of that, and there was there was just a surge of business and a ton of activity starting March, April, May, June. And I think in a podcast somewhere, and then we we were talking about how that was great. But we thought, you know, if the market, you know, we've, we've been saying for a little while that we're kind of due for some type of softening, some kind of cooling, some kind of normalcy, whatever you want to call it. And we thought maybe towards the end of summer would be about when we see it. And I honestly have to say, I think it's a little earlier than I expected. I probably was more thinking November, October, rather than July, August, because we, we just got the market action report. And it shows inventory having gone up to the highest level in two and a half years.
1: Yeah, back in July. But we're obviously, we're feeling it here in August. So I don't know that we necessarily felt that way a month ago. But you know, think back to just playing devil's advocate a little bit. You know, last year, about this time in August, we felt it softening as well. Now we were in a highly charged political, you know, back and forth of the primaries and all that, or maybe the primaries were just wrapping up or whatever. But it started to soften then too. It seems like there's always that end of August, like it's no longer the super hot summer selling season. And so, you know, maybe that's coupled with the fact that we've had a long uphill run and we're kind of expecting it to be more than just a, you know, end of summer slowdown, but you know, just, I don't know, something to keep in mind for everybody.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, if, look, if this was three years ago, I wouldn't be quite as much thinking that to be the case it's it's that as we've talked about i mean this is five and a half years of this this market cycle which is by all accounts a very long stretch of a good market so we could be wrong absolutely absolutely i even said this in my event on wednesday i said you know what this could be nothing everybody could be on vacation and two weeks from now they all come back and and everything's right back to normal but even if that's the case tucker this is going to happen. If it's not now, it's going to be in six months or a year where the market changes, it shifts, whatever you want to call it, where the increases, the price increases that have been dramatic and incomes that have not kept up quite at that pace, there's going to be a divide. There will be a gap there where it finally starts to slow the, the surge of demand. So, yeah, no, I'm with you. And I do agree. There's there have been other slow periods. And and to be fair, the eclipse probably is playing a a small role in this. And I don't expect this weekend to be great, by the way. I've got right now 14, 15 active listings. I don't expect a bunch of activity over the eclipse weekend on those. So, yeah, what are you seeing on your end?
1: You know, we've got a couple closings, one that took place today, one that takes place on Eclipse Monday, given that the world doesn't end. Is that open? Um, yeah, supposedly. Whether or not the county gets recorded or not, I, you know, who knows? I, I'm not really planning on it. I think Tuesday is going to be the cleanup day for Monday's, you know, shenanigans. But, you know, I think I've been preparing for a slowdown mentally all year. So to me, it's kind of business as usual. You know, although I have seen, you know, like I mentioned on previous shows, I've seen properties go pending for numbers that I'm like, what in the world? Like, you know, and it's still happening. But then I'm also seeing some stuff that's been sitting for a while in areas where I felt like it was gonna have to cool down. So, you know, it it could be that we're now, you know, we've reached that inflection point, right? Which I think we have. I, I just don't see, you know, prices continuing to hard charge anywhere in town. I don't think there's any pockets that went un you know, un addressed in terms of upward pressure on prices at this point there were a few you know 6 months ago that didn't advance as far as others but i think they've caught up a little bit or enough but you know we'll see we'll see i think that we're we're always heading into this last quarter of the year is always the slowest quarter in terms of business. It's always the slowest quarter in terms of people looking to buy houses, and there's probably always the most amount of downward pressure on pricing during the September to November time period. That's just the way it goes. If you want to sell your house, you know, quickly during that time. So we'll see. But I think that I think we've had a good run, and I think that kind you amazing. know the the market will start Ooh. to have some sensibility. Like for example, I went to an appointment today, right, and and it was a, a property in Lake Oswego. And the gal thought it was a teardown. And, you know, if it was on another street, I would have said, yeah, but it was on a busier road, not a super busy road, but it was, it was off Bryant, which, you know, gets a fair bit of traffic. And it was a a ranch that needs a lot of work. It would need to be fully gutted and it needs a roof and needs new windows and it needs all new systems, but it it would be a, a sizable rehab. But I, I told her and, and it's, really kind of encapsulates where we're at in the market. I said, look, market's not going to be hot forever. You know, another builder might nuke this house and build a big new house on there and try and get top dollar for it. But I just think where we're at in the market cycle, the house that is best suited for that location is that house turnkey renovated because it's a lower price point and it's less exposure and it's more people can afford it at the end of the day. And I think that, you know, that's an important outlook to have, you know, whether you're on the realtor side or the builder side you just have to look at things from a a more realistic point of view and, and take off your hopium glasses and just kind of look at the market for what it is, you know, and that comes down to having conversations with sellers as well. You know, I'm sure a lot of these listings you picked up, you know, I'm sure you'll sell them or at least I would think so. But you know, a lot of these people probably shit can their agent because they thought that they should sell it for 30 grand more than the house is worth in, in two weeks, you know, or 50 grand more. Well, who knows? Whatever. But, you know, sellers' expectations have gotten way out of hand, too, on a lot of fronts. And so this might be the time where people have to kind of come back down to reality and we kind of seesaw backwards a little bit in terms of pricing that the market can actually absorb. But, you know, we'll see.
2: Yeah, you brought up a great point, Tucker. And and I think it's worth mentioning to our listeners. I learned a while ago on a property where I was helping a seller, you know, for years now, I mean, part of our value add is like, hey, we're going to kind of help you flip your own house. We're going to bring in some some people that help you strategically, you know, make some improvements, and possibly staging on vac- vacant ones, and 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 really, you know, bring out that jewel in the property and then market it and, and help you, you know, make that extra money. And and it's a great way to market a business and get some and get some sellers versus you know the the standard approach. But I learned on one about three years ago. The busy streets are the wild card and to be so careful of. I now tell my sellers, let's not get too cute whenever it's on a busy street. You know, that $1,000 you strategically put into a different house that can maybe, you know, get you a threefold return or fourfold return. That's now a $1,000 of flooring on a house next to a busy street. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. now $1,000 of kitchen upgrades on a house on a busy street. And so that thousand dollars that otherwise maybe on the right house with the right floor plan in the right area um could have got you four thousand more might only get you six, seven, eight hundred bucks more. Not to mention all your time and energy that went into it. So good thing for agents to remember and, and and you touched on this when you see a busy street and and there are other components busy street is one of others bad floor plan is another if if the the home just has a bad floor plan that's unfixable or a bad location possibly you know some something that is external that you can't control that is bad be careful about getting really cute with improvements and strategic you know, investments into the house that are going to return money. Cause it will, it will be a vacuum on that money that you invest
1: into the house. Yeah. And I also look at busy streets. It's kind of the, the leading indicator, right? So I'll, I pay a lot of attention to listings on busier streets because if those, those tend to start sitting first, right. In a mm-hmm. slower market, because in a hot market, it seems like people, they lose their damn minds in terms of like thinking logically, You know, why in the world would you buy a house on a busier street when you could buy one not on a busier street and in a hot market, especially because, you know, people are paying 97 cents of what they would pay for a house or 98 cents of what they would pay for a house on a non-busy street, on a busy street, in a hot market, in a cold market, they want to pay like 70 cents of what they'd pay on a non-busy street. Right. So that Mm -hmm. gap shrinks dramatically in a hot market. And the only thing I can attribute that to is because people don't use their heads in a hot market. It's all, it's more of an emotional type purchase. Yeah. But so I, I watched those, you know, it just so happens there's one right down the street from this, that I saw somebody flipping and who knows, maybe they listen to the show, maybe they don't. And I thought to myself, that's ballsy. That's a ballsy flip. Cause they went, they went balls deep on the rehab deal. Like they were spending money, like in your terms, they went way cutesy, like way off the deep end. And you know, it went pending. They had to do one price reduction, but they still got way more than I thought they'd ever get on that street. So, you know, that's kind of my leading indicator in terms of things really slowing is when those properties really start to take a beating on the busier streets. And I haven't totally seen that yet, but you know, if this slowdown is going to stick around for a while, I think that's where you're going to, they're going to be your biggest punching bags, at least on the leading edge.
2: I agree with that. I agree with that, Tucker. I mean, in in a, in a hot market, every, every girl in the dance gets a partner, (laughs) (laughs) Ready um, and
1: willing, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> but when when the market starts changing, like you said, you know, watch for watch for some houses suddenly. You know, maybe the, the good houses are still get going okay. Things are fine with them, but watch the outliers, watch the others, and suddenly they're not they're not getting s- scooped up. And the reason they're getting scooped up in a hot market is because the people are so frustrated with going after the good ones and the multiple offers and losing out that they finally just go screw it i'm going to go get this house and be done with it and 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 maybe there wasn't multiple offers on that busy street but but they they're just like i'm just going to get it and and they make their offer and they take it or or the bad floor plan or or you know the the bad curb appeal house or you know just the just the the less desirable property what you're saying, and I I absolutely agree with it, is the early indicators of a slowdown would be not necessarily the great houses. They're still probably doing okay. Maybe they're even getting multiple offers, but some of those other properties are languishing in a different way than they have been for the prior couple of years. I'll throw another thing at you there. In that same conversation, watch for areas to get a glut of inventory. I don't think we're going to wake up one day and all of a sudden all of portland metro is high inventory i think there will be areas that blow first do you remember this last time tucker happy valley do you remember that
1: well that's why it was it was called crappy valley for a long time right because it, it basically imploded they overbuilt it now there was a lot of loan fraud and not so good things that unnamed builders that participated in will not mention, but that basically caused a glut of inventory in an area that didn't have enough buyers. And yeah, it it had tons of inventory and it basically bomb holed Happy Valley for a better part of three or four years.
2: And to be fair, this happened nation- on a national level too. It's yeah. not like all of a sudden every city in every State was in a bad housing situation. It started with you know Florida vegas Southern california and then and you were reading about those areas first and then it started spreading here's where I'm noticing high inventory today. Are you ready for it?
0: Yep,
1: shoot
2: bull mountain several yep. of my listing appointments have been bull mountain and i'm seeing i'm seeing stuff sit and I'm seeing a lot of for sale signs and I'm seeing a lot of inventory there. Now, I think part of that could be because I think they're building a lot of houses on the backside of Bull Mountains, so they're adding a lot of housing stock there. And that's okay. I mean, there's usually reasons why you get a, a glut of inventory, but but watch that area. And if it continues to swell and starts to to stagnate and stagger, you could see that spread into other areas. You could see that start to shoot into... Progress Ridge and Murray Hill and and some of the other areas. Because because if all of a sudden you're looking at those areas and you've got the same buying power, why wouldn't you go, well, wait a minute, there's a ton of inventory over here. Why don't I just run over here and buy this house and for cheaper? Because there's more motivated sellers over there. And that starts to affect those other areas. And because yeah. then suddenly their their housing stock is sitting, so keep an eye on that for
1: sure. Yeah, I've got you know certain areas that I have pinned where I feel like they're the at risk pockets. Let's put it that way. And you know we have pivoted out of some of those that we had previously been building in, just because I feel like those are you know they're at risk to some extent, and you know, I don't really want to fight that battle when it if and when it does happen. But yeah, there's definitely certain areas that watch that those inventory numbers. I mean we have them, you know, locally here as a as a whole metro, but you really have to pay attention to them, you know, neighborhood and pocket-wise. I think that's, you know, going to be more telling in terms of how to relate these numbers or or the market specifically to your house or whatever you're trying to sell.
2: Yeah, and I'm not saying don't buy in Bull Mountain. I'm 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 actually saying you might get a deal on Bull Mountain right now. You know, that's the thing about as inventories go up, and I am seeing this, by the way, when I'm pulling comps for my listings, you know, a year ago or even, you know, six months ago, I'd be pulling comps. And, and you know, I what I, I employ a pretty simplistic method of, OK, my listing is here. I'm going to pull a either half to three quarter mile radius, depending on what I get pulled from from that. The, obviously, the closer to my listing, the better. So if I can get enough comps in half mile, great. But if I need to, I'll go out three quarters of a mile and I'm usually just focused on square footage unless I've got a unique lot size or I've got a unique housing configuration. If I've got a 3,000 square foot house, I'm pulling 2,500 square feet to 3,500 square feet within half mile. And if within a half mile, that only gives me 15 houses, then I'll go three quarters of a mile. Now I've got 30 houses, right? Okay. So that's how I've always pulled comps. and, And a year ago, I'd have, if I had 25 comps, I'd have five actives 7 8 pendings and then the rest sold and I'm usually pull, pulling sold 6 months back. That number is changing. I'm now seeing 10 actives, 3 or 4 pendings and then the the solds. And remember, the solds are going to look good for a while because we've had a good we we've had a good 4 or 5 months. So there's plenty of sold comps out there. It's the pendings that are that are fewer and the actives that are more mm-hmm. that is telling. So, I forgot what I was going to say from there. <laughs>
1: Well, it just means that inventory is going up if there's more actives, less pendings, and you know soldiers starting to taper a little bit so which would explain our our overall inventory number, which you know we've been kind of dancing around, but the overall inventory number for this month's market action report is two point one or at least we're reporting in the rear, so who knows what it is right today, but you know from the data that they have for the month of July, they said that we kind of I hate to say ballooned, but we ballooned up to 2.1 months of inventory, which was basically a half a half a point rise from the 1.6 months prior. And we haven't seen anything that high since 2015. We hit two months of inventory a couple times last year. We hit two months of inventory later in the year in 2015. But, you know, we went, we were at three months of inventory between 3.4 and three months of inventory at the very beginning of 2015. And then we went down into the ones basically until now with an occasional pop up to two even. But, you know, what's funny though, is that if we look back at the, if this was four years ago and we look at 2.1 months of inventory, we'd still be like, holy crap, that is no inventory, you know? So, it's kind of like what's the new normal, too, right? Like if we get to three and a half months of inventory, people are, you know, there's probably a lot of agents going to be like, "Oh my god, I can't sell my listing. This guy's falling. Real estate's horrible." Blah blah blah. But you know, the reality is, is that six months of inventory is considered a balanced market, right, or thereabouts. So we're still way, way on, you know, the seller's benefit side of of inventory numbers. But I think we're all, we've hit our inflection point, which is what we were kind of looking for to determine, you know the hottest the market will get and then start to taper. And I, I think we'll probably see inventory continue to sit in the twos and maybe bump up to three over the course from here to the end of the year.
2: Yeah. And back to my point, Tucker, what I was kind of getting at is, uh, again, I wasn't saying don't go buy a bull mountain, don't go buy in those places. And uh, to the contrary, I think that's where maybe you can find deals. You know, we've been in a market for some time now where there were no deals. There just wasn't deals. Why would there need to be a deal? If a seller woke up one day and had a distressing situation, you you, you pick out of the hat whatever distressing situation you want—divorce, job loss, whatever—you just put your house on the market and it's going to turn into cash, right? When inventories start to climb, say say an area that does have a higher level of inventory, that is no longer the case now. While everybody else, and I'm not saying every house is a good deal. That's that's the point here. Is you know if there's ten houses suddenly in an area on the market, nine of those sellers may not be in a distressed situation, but one of them is, and that is the deal that is to be had. And an agent can be really prudent in helping their buyers and advising them. Let me help you find those deals. So some of these areas where you're starting to see those higher inventories, that is the opportunity that is in them. Is okay. There's 10 houses in here that are on the market. Let's see you know who wants to play ball. Who is motivated? A lot well, of those people a, aren't here's
1: motivated. Here's an interesting stat to kind of further what you're saying, right? So you've got certain areas that have more inventory than others or have, for whatever reason, slowed down a bit compared to others. So here's my favorite part of town, North Portland, right? Which anybody that's listened to the show for a while knows how much I just absolutely adore North Portland, which I'm being facetious, of course. But- That aside, so pending sales for this month, comparing 2017 this year to pending sales this exact month in 2016, pending sales are down 17.1%. So that's a big decrease for this month at this time in the year going this year, comparing to last year. Now, keep that in mind. Now, if you compare Westland and Lake Oswego, this year's pending sales right now compared to last year at this time's pending sales were up 6.2%. So that's kind of wild, right? You're up yeah. 2% in Westland Lake Oswego, and you're down 17.1% in North Portland. So it's very localized. And I think that's, you know, kind of the point to your conversation, but also to mine is that, you know, if you're in those areas where, pending sales are down, that means that motivation on the seller side is probably up a little bit, which means the potential for you as a buyer or retail buyer going in there to get a quote unquote deal, you've got a much better chance in those areas where the pending sales have dropped significantly compared to last year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So in my little presentation I did to our people on Wednesday. You know, I, I, I tried to keep it really positive. I mean, I said, you know, I think the market's changing, but there's going to be a lot of benefits. And I, I, I thought I'd share with some of our listeners some of the ones I kind of addressed there. You know, FISBOs will dry up. It will not be as easy to sell your own house. That's good for agents. Discount brokerage was will will dry up or change their model or something. I mean, even lower cost, the, the pressure on commissions Will have to subside. The agents out there that are have made a business out of listing at four and a half, four percent. You know that model works great if you if if every listing turns into a paycheck in forty five days. If you got to nurse that thing for four, five months, three months, that makes that model a lot more difficult. So I think you'll see less pressure on commissions the barrier of entry into real estate will benefit if we have some type of you know cooling correction not to mention those that will not remain in the business great marketing will be appreciated i'm noticing this already the thing with selling a home that i appreciate is everybody looks great if it goes pending it doesn't matter what you did if you have a seller who signs a listing contract and it goes pending you're pretty much going to look like a rock star. Now there are situations where the seller's frustrated with maybe communication or the process of customer service, but from a marketing standpoint, you got into the end zone, and so so it, it's easy to look like a rock star. When markets change and homes sit longer, sellers are going to pay closer attention to what you are doing. That's just the reality proactive communication becomes incredibly important in this part in this process. They want to know, what are you doing to sell my house? What have you done? And what are you doing on a, they want to know upfront and they want to know on a regular basis. So even if you're not selling the house, you can pacify the seller and you can keep them happy in this process, which, which lets you keep the listing. Remember, we started this by me saying, you know, I've got two two new listings that were previously listed a very short amount of time. Clearly that wasn't happening on on their case. So there are advantages to those who have good marketing and good marketing systems and have a good model in that regards.
1: Do you know, just a quick question, like, you notice how the, the general media and really sellers, they tend to be about six months behind what's happening in the market, really. Do you find that you know, when you went to, let's say those listing appointments, you don't have to call people out specifically, but do you feel like the reason why they dumped their other agent is because they just hadn't been educated on kind of where we really are at in terms of the market or do they want to even hear it? You know, like, cause sometimes they you know don't want to hear it.
2: Actually, I think both those, both those sellers are early to the game of knowing where we are. They're like, yeah, the market's changing, which is interesting. Cause I think a lot of people don't know the market's changing. I think the masses don't have that inside line, and they will soon. They will soon. I mean, this this RMLS action report came out. I think the Oregonian will be writing an article if they haven't already. You know, the inventories are a little bit higher, and the market's cooled a little bit. The, the word cooled was here in this market action report multiple times. The Oregonian's going to get that. So the masses will eventually see it, but this was, you know, these are listing appointments that I had earlier this week and last week, those sellers were saying, yes, I think the market's changing. So up until very recently, it's interesting to me, the only people that were talking about a market, you know, cooling, what were agents in that I'm talking to, and then sellers who are on the market, a lot of people weren't, it wasn't on their radar. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that
0: I just, I just
1: curious how big of an uphill battle you're fighting with it. That's all.
2: Yeah. And I do agree with you. The the market is generally behind, quite a ways behind. So I think it'll be a long time before the masses really, you know, catch wind that that, you know, the market's changing some. And that in of itself will present a whole new slew of issues, in my opinion, to the market and exacerbate the issue as the masses hear, oh, the market's cooling. You'll see two things. I think maybe you'll see buyers pump the brakes a little bit and you might see sellers rush to market which we all know causes higher inventory on both sides. So that could be, you know, a big issue, but you know, a couple a couple other positives Tucker is people who are buying and selling, you know, as as the market changes and inventories go up, people who are both buying and selling will often feel an almost negligible change, especially if they're moving up if they're move up buyers. We we learned this during the last downturn, which again, I think was a horrific downturn and not one like we'll see again anytime soon. But if you're selling a $350,000 house and you're buying a $500,000 house, if the housing market is softened on both, you're actually going to end up net positive because the little bit you're leaving on the table with your current house is going to be gained more so on on the on the, the more expensive house. So look for that. I think that's a positive thing to talk to, to clients about, especially if people, you know, they're starting to pump the brakes and like, oh, maybe this isn't the time to do something. Say, wait a minute, you know, actually this might be the perfect time to do something. We've been in a market for a while where inventories were tight and it was, there was a lot of unknowns about putting your house on the market. Yeah, it'd probably sell quickly, but where were you going to go and what was your situation going to look like? Now there's actually more certainty on that end of things. We might have to wait a little bit longer to get yours into escrow, but once it does get into escrow, you'll have a lot more options. We could also see contingent offers come back in a big way, which would be not a bad thing for for
1: clients as well. So I think that's a a really positive message as well. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we've been in the game for a while. I had a big, you know, conversation with some people this past week about, you know, having once you go through a cycle or two, you kind of you know what to expect, right? I mean, you know what changes and, you know, who sticks around and, you know, who goes and, you know, how it affects seller psyche and, you know, how it affects how the business flows. So, you know, it's I'm kind of looking forward to it. At least on my end of the business, it'll clean out a lot of riffraff you know, there's obviously a lot of realtors out there that could probably be cleaned out of the business too. So for good or for bad, I'm I'm sure Premier Property Group doesn't employ any of them. So, you know, that it won't affect you guys negatively, <laughs> but there are other brokerages that I'm sure will be like, where'd all our agents go? But, you know, it's just part of the, it's just kind of the nature of the beast and it is what it is. But, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't think it's going to be horrific. I think we're just, when it does slow and if this is it, It's just going to come back down to reality in terms of pricing, like stuff is going to price based on what it should sell for, as opposed to like, oh my God, I can't believe that sold for that, you know, and I'm fine with that kind of market. And I, and I, and I'd like to operate in that kind of market because it makes it easier for me to do my numbers and be like, okay, this makes sense now. And there isn't, you know, cowboys out there that are overpaying for everything because they're, you know. They're building or renovating based on hopium and think, hoping that they can get a price for something. And, you know, the market to this point hasn't proven anybody wrong. So everybody's genius, right? But, you know, we'll see. I think we're at our inflection point with inventory. Whether or not this is the complete inflection point for the market softening remains to be seen. But, you know, we did predict that there'd be two markets this year, the first half of the year and the second half of the year. Whether that where that second half of the year line started and the first half of the year line stops, you know, up for debate. But I, I think we're probably there
2: yeah and i agree with you i mean we, there's so many unknowns nobody can predict anything with certainty in, in this regards so yeah we're we're definitely gonna see and 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 we may we may to our surprise have a have a have a decent run for a while i mean it's just it's like we've said for a while tucker we're we're due for we're due for something to 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 cool off for a bit. You know, a couple other positives that will happen. I mean, for for quite some time now, we've just had such a shortage of vendors and contractors and service providers. I joked the other day that, you know, we've been in a market for some time now where you put a house on the market, you get five offers, and yet you can't get one roofer out there, right? We might, it, it wouldn't be a terrible thing if we were in a market where you put a house on the market and you get one offer, but you call five roofers, and they all show up within an hour. So you're kind of trading issues a little bit, you know some things were easy in a good market, but other things were difficult. So you might have a, a little flip flop on some of those some of those things and I agree with you, having been through the horrific market that we've been through, it kind of gives you a little perspective. It gives you kind of this feeling of like we've been we've been through the really bad. I think we're going to be okay. One newer agent came up to me the other day and he was kind of, and he's a good agent. And he came up to me and he's like, he said, Oh man, I hope this market doesn't change. You know, I've only been doing this two years and I'm just starting to get my rhythm and I don't want to have to deal with that. And I thought about it for a second. I was like, You know, it actually might be good for you. It might be good for you because it would be terrible if you had. A long run in an easy market where you don't have to do much to get business and you don't have to do much to have your listing sell, and you you formulate habits based on that, almost like lifetime career habits. Having to go through, you know, some challenges and a in a you know a curvy path now that refocuses you and forces you to get stronger. Could be really good long term for a, for an agent's career. So I mean, there's a good thing for newer agents who maybe haven't been around as long as you and I have, Tucker, and haven't seen the darkest of of
1: downturns. I Th- kind of feel like we're old now. Like, I've <laughs> been along. Nobody's been around as long as we have, and you know, whatever. But. We- <laughs> what, 13 years, 14 years? That's 2003 to now. Yeah, so 14 14 years. I have a
2: question for you. I wanted to ask you this earlier today. Which housing market do you think was stronger, the 03 to 067 market or this
1: last one? It's a good question. I think they were about the same, but I think this one was probably stronger because there wasn't any financing shenanigans that was feeding into the strength of the market, right? It was all legitimate strength as opposed to like steroid induced strength. (laughs) So that's, I think that for that reason, I'd give the nod to this run. If you
2: take the steroids out, that's a great, great answer, by the way. And I agree with you. If you take the steroids out, meaning apples to apples. Okay. Like almost like if you didn't know Lance Armstrong was doing steroids and he's racing the other guy, I mean, who's the, who's the better racer. Do you still feel that way? Yeah. I, 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 th- I think I do too. I, I feel
1: I like this, cause you know, when we started, you know, I bought my first house in 2003, that wasn't a great market, you know? And then it, it boomed and it busted within four years of there. Yeah. We've been on like a six year run up. Right. Yeah. So yeah. If, if you look at it just purely from that, I mean, you know, by the time I'd been in the business for four years, we'd boomed and then we got the phone call that the world stopped right within a four year <laughs> period. Like, Four years ago, we built in Street of Dreams, you know, and the market was, it was still, I mean, it was, it was good. It hadn't gone bananas yet, but it was, it was good. So I think I give the nod to this cycle, but, you know, every cycle has to come to an end at some point. So
2: yeah, I, I'm, and I think I'm with you, Tucker, both off my experience as well as just talking to others. I think we've felt like this was a more chaotic, you know, battle axe market than, in the mid 2000s, which actually surprises me when you think back to the, the, the finance situations that we had then. And I don't, I truly don't know the underlying fundamentals, how to explain it other than we had come out of such a bad bust.
1: Well, that, this, this run-up actually changed Portland. The last one didn't, right? That's there was, a good point. Yeah. There were parts yeah. of Portland that changed. Happy Valley developed last time around, but this This run-up was the birth of infill redevelopment, like until this one prices hadn't got to a point where infill redevelopment actually started and neighborhoods really changed in this run-up. I don't think they really changed in the last one. I mean, in the last one, remember like the Saban neighborhood, nothing really changed there, just ownership. In this one, it went from, you know, what it was to, you know, massive amount of redevelopment in there and new housing being created. And there's a bunch of other pockets around town, the same thing, but you know that didn't happen the last time, so for that reason, I just you know uh, there was a lot more change that happened to the city because of this time around so i I think it's an obvious nod to this run
2: I hadn't thought of it until you said that tucker you're absolutely right i mean l- the last the last housing boom, Portland was never the fastest growing city in the country, never I don't even know if it was in the top five or ten or maybe even twenty this time, we were number one on the list year after year. We're no longer, but we were there for a long time. In people moving here was a dramatic, and, and we've always had people moving to Portland, but it really spiked this time around. So so I think, and, and so I guess it's an interesting question. Maybe the housing market nationally hasn't been as significantly stronger this time. But here in Portland, I think we felt that. Now, are you ready for the scary part of that?
1: <laughs> let's, let's play devil's advocate.
2: There was a saying last time we had our downturn. I remember it and I liked it. It said, the markets that had the biggest party had the biggest hangover. Do you remember, you know, basically that mindset of the markets that ran up the fastest had the biggest busts? It'll be interesting to see if something along those lines happens this time. There, there isn't the fund the fundamental underlying mortgage issues, so it may not be as dramatic.
1: But I think the I think the hangover this time around is going to be um, more of a. This is just my prediction before we wrap up the show. But I think it's going to be more of a sustained flatline time period as opposed to you know a a, a crash, which would be a, the equivalent of a you know the worst hangover headache you've ever had, right? I think yeah. it's just going to be multiple days of feeling like, oh, I shouldn't have partied so hard, you know, <laughs> like that. <laughs> so yeah. you can function, but you're just, you're running at about 70% of your capacity, right? Where, you go. You know, there you yeah, go. yeah. That, that's my analogy, but I like you it. know, which is fine. So anyway, we've been going for an hour. We should probably wrap it up, but all in all, I think we've hit the inflection point. I think you think we've hit that inflection point, but you know, we'll keep tabs on it through the end of the year and who knows? We'll see.
2: There's no absolutes, people. There's no absolutes. I, I could be wrong, but I, I could be wrong, and everybody's on vacation, and everybody's going to see the eclipse, and next week or the week after,
1: everything's going to return to normal, but we'll see. All right. Well, as long as you know the zombies don't come out after the eclipse and we all survive, and the world doesn't end, we'll see you guys sometime in the next couple of weeks for episode 72. So without further ado, we'll put a bow on this unless you got anything you want to tell our listeners, Steve.
2: Go see that eclipse. It's By the time you hear this, you'll probably either have had a chance to or not. Either way, I think most people are going to see it. It's just whether you see it 100% or not. So have a
1: great weekend, Tucker. All right. Sounds good. And we'll see you guys on the next show.
0: Thanks again for listening to our show. And make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.